The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is our text in your Bibles or your apps. Would you open to 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue our study in God's Word from the book of uh, 1 Timothy. It's our sixth message already. And this morning we're looking at a message on women in the church, women in the church. I'll be reading from the NIV. And there it says, beginning in verse 8, a passage that we, the verse we looked at last week, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger disputing. So, first of all, Paul addresses the men. And then he turns his attention to the women, beginning in verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. It was Adam who was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And some of you are saying, Yuri, you must be a brave man to preach this text. <laughs> Actually, I had a special shirt made just for today. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, here it is right here. I'm going to wear this shirt today. <laughs> For all of you ladies, actually, not my prayer is we would leave this place where you would be encouraged, ladies, where you'll walk out saying, this is the role that God has given me to serve him in the church. Father, I pray for the ladies today especially. Pray that you would help me as I dissect this passage as a man. Father, I, I pray that we would see what the scriptures say. I thank you for a church filled with sisters who love Jesus. Thank you for women in this body who have been great examples to us. Pray for us as men that we would lead well, that we would honor you and them with our lives. So, Father, I pray, I pray that you would uh, use this day to mold us, change us, sharpen us, to encourage us, and then to apply the word that we see in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Women in the church, we're going to look at that in a second. Men and women are different. Amen. Amen. Every one of you says that. They're different. These differences really become apparent and accentuated when you get married. Amen? Amen. You see the differences readily. Because of those differences and wanting to help you with your marriages, we're going to offer some new classes at TBC beginning next month. I mean, we really want to help you in this. And so here are some of the classes we're going to start uh, offering to you so that you can uh, learn how to deal with it. Is it possible to drive past a mall without stopping? It'll be a group debate. Ladies, that's your class right there. Guys, here's a class for you. How to be the ideal shopping companion, relaxation, exercises, meditation, breathing techniques needed. Uh, how many of you need your husbands to attend that class? There we go. Oh, come on, be honest, ladies. There you go. Uh, here's a class for ladies. I was wrong and he was right. Real life testimonials. <laughs> if we can find any. Uh, class for guys. Getting over it. Learning how to live with being wrong all the time. Individual counsels will be available because you're going to need them, guys. Uh, here's a class for ladies. Can a bath be taken without 14 different kinds of soaps and shampoos? I totally can't relate to that. I'm going to tell you that. I must have had a hundred of you tell me, we saw your picture in the paper. So you had a little rim up there. What happened? Uh, I'll tell you that later. Uh, differences between laundry basket and floors, practicing with hamper, classes for men. And all the ladies said, yeah, there you go. Listen to that, guys. Uh, for ladies, how to parallel park in less than 20 minutes without an insurance claim. 
I need the target up right now, don't I? Yeah, I didn't wear that shirt because I know so many people packing here. I'm thinking somewhere along the way somebody just take me right out. Uh, classes for men is it genetically impossible to sit quietly? She parallel parks. So we're going to offer those two classes simultaneously. Final class, learning to for ladies, learning to live. How to apply brakes without throwing passengers through the windshield. And uh, for guys, uh, basic difference between your mother and your partner. Uh, don't raise your hand. Ladies, how many of you wish your husband would sign up for that class? There you go. Okay. Hey, we're different. We're different. From Genesis to Revelation, the Scriptures teach us that we're different. The Scriptures also teach us that we're equal. Scriptures teach us that before the throne of God, that when it comes to our salvation, our spiritual life, our spiritual growth, we're the same. But the Scriptures teach us we're different. We're not only different in our makeup, but we're different in our roles. And so what I hope you walk away from this message from is that we are all equal, but our functions are different. In fact, if you look on the outline and the bulletin, it's the very last point. I'll, I'll sell, my, sell the whole thing right now so some of you can go back to taking your naps. How's that? Okay. We're equal. We're equal, but we're different in our function. So let's do what we always do at TBC. Let's let the text speak for itself. Let's look at the text together. Let's address the issues that are at hand. Paul is dealing, as he's writing to Timothy, he's dealing with issues in the church. He's being both, I think, corrective and prescriptive. Corrective, there are some problems in the church. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Timothy, stay there because there are false teachers in the church and you've got to correct those guys. It could be that there was a problem with prayer, problem with men. We know that. If you look at verse 8, he says, I'm addressing the dudes and saying, quit arguing and quit fighting when you come to church and start praying. And I can only assume that that carries over to the section with women. Uh, he's saying, you know, there's some issues with some of the women in church, and so we're going to lay out for you specifically what's to happen in the church. So some of Paul's writing is corrective. He's correcting problems. Some of it's prescriptive. Prescriptive meaning he's saying how the church should function. And we know that because of the next chapter. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he specifically tells Timothy in this letter, remember it's a letter written from Paul to Timothy, his younger disciple. He says, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to make sure that you understand how we should function within the church when it's gathered. When the church meets, there are certain things that should happen. You'd have elders, you'd have deacons. We're going to see that next two weeks. And he gives those qualifications. And this week, he addressed specifically, last week we saw how you pray in church. This week, he's saying this is the role of women in the church. The role of women in the church. This has been debated, and no doubt changes have taken place dramatically in the last several decades. In fact, when I came to Temple, Texas 31 years ago, uh, there was not a single female senior pastor in Temple, Texas. There are over a dozen women who fill the pulpit regularly in the cities or in the churches in our city. So you, you find a dramatic change in that role. Now there are many women senior pastors, preaching pastors in our community. Some would call that progress. Some would call it compromise. Some would call it necessity because there aren't enough men to fill pulpits. Most don't care if it's a man or woman in the pulpit as long as they quit on time so they can beat the other churches to lunch at the restaurants in town. But what's the word teach? What's the word teach? What do the scriptures teach? So let's do the hard work of working through the text and the hard work of answering some questions. I mean, if you attend TBC, I mean, there are some things that are quite noticeable in the way that we do things. 
uh, you might have a question, why has there never been a woman preaching from this pulpit? We obviously have ladies on the worship team who lead out. We have folks, ladies that I've interviewed often up here. And, uh, but why don't we have ladies who preach sermons? Why don't we have a, a lady in the pulpit? Uh, secondly, you might question, why don't we have female elders and deacons? At TBC, all the elders, all the deacons are male, not female. Why is that? It's a good question. It's a valid question. Some of you are thinking Paul wrote back in the Stone Ages when women were not liberated, not educated, didn't have the same advantages, same opportunities that men have. Isn't this a teaching that is archaic and it wasn't, wasn't it limited to the culture of that day? Hold, me, hold my feet to the fire. Hopefully I'll answer all those questions in the course of our message today, in the course of our, I would say, discussion, but it's not going to be a discussion and a teaching today. Well, Paul begins and he addresses an issue that's certainly not an issue today, right? He addresses the issue of women and modesty. Women and modesty. And as Paul discusses this, he talks about, really, I think if you summarize verses 9 and 10, he's saying, ladies, your dress reveals your character. The way you dress reveals your character. And he's very specific. He says, I want women to adorn themselves. Let's stop right there. The word adorn is an interesting word. It means to arrange in order, to arrange in order. It's the Greek word cosmeo, cosmeo. So ladies, what word, what English word do you get from cosmeo to arrange in order? What's the word that comes out of that? Cosmetics. It's pretty clear, isn't it? And so he's saying, I want women to adorn themselves. I want them to arrange in order. How many of you ladies arranged things in order this morning before you came to church? All of you, didn't you? I mean, all of you. We did too. Guys did too. And so he's saying, arrange things in order. He's not speaking against beauty. He's not speaking against uh, the, the, he's not speaking against the ladies beautifying themselves. This is not a call, ladies, to be dowdy or homely. It's not a call to be dowdy or homely. There are people that misapply this section, and so what they do is they choose never to wear makeup. They choose to dress down rather than up, and they look at this, and I'll show you in a second, where that is not what God is calling us to. God is not calling you to be dowdy or homely, and every man should say, Amen. Amen. We're grateful for the beauty of the women around us. We're grateful for the beauty of the women around us, and TBC is blessed with beautiful women, and we are grateful for that. He says, adorn yourselves properly. And you know my statement. I might as well pull the shirt up right now and uh, let you throw darts at me. If the born needs painting, ladies, what do you do? There you go. Hey, you like that, don't you? You say you're pretty quick on that. I mean, it, it really is. It's an admonition from the scriptures to beautify, but do it modestly. Do it modestly. In this, in the context here, he looks at guys and he says, "Quit fighting." He looks at ladies and says, "Be modest." Be modest. In fact, he specifically mentions a few things. He says, uh, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly garments. Those were all things that were worn in the first century to display wealth or to set one apart from another. He's saying when the church comes together, the focus should not be upon any people. It should be upon a person, and that's a Savior. And so if you show up when the church gathers together and your dress causes division, make sure that you dress a different way. That's what he's saying. He's saying a godly woman is a modest woman. A godly woman is a modest woman. And he's saying in this passage, the real issue is the heart of a woman. A godly woman will buy things and she will wear things and she'll dress in a way that honors her, honors her Savior, uh, honors her husband, and honors herself. And it's because she's walking with God. 
God, God wants women to be beautiful. Uh, the scriptures teach us that. The scriptures say about the Proverbs 31 woman, the woman who of noble character, that she dressed in colorful and high-quality clothing, Proverbs 31:22. So, ladies, you can go and tell your husband this afternoon, Gary said I should dress in high-quality clothing and take a trip to the mall. It's okay with me. Likewise, the bride of the, in the Song of Solomon, Shulamite woman, adorned herself with jewelry. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 10. And ladies, you want to be able to do what Esther did. Do you remember what Esther did, ladies? Esther's in a beauty contest, basically, to see if she could become queen to the king. She spent 12 months at a spa. How many ladies are in favor of that one? Yeah. I mean, she got 12 months to beautify herself. 12 months in a spa, all expenses paid. And uh, if I'll take the target down at this point in time, because I, I really can't give you permission to do that, though. Your husbands will kill me. But here's the reality. When we look at the scriptures, obviously God isn't saying a woman is not to make themselves beautiful. God is a creator of beauty. God delights in beauty. Look at his creation. Look around you. That's what he desires. But it is a call, ladies, to modesty. It's a call not to attract attention to yourself, but to attract attention to your Savior. To make sure that when you dress wherever it is, in the streets, in the gym, uh, for weddings, when you put pictures on Facebook, when you do these things, that you are modest. The issue is not your hemline or your neckline. The issue is your heart, because if God gets your heart, he's going to desire for you, and you will desire to please him, and you will be a woman of modesty. That's what the scriptures teach. How many of you ladies love Beth Moore? Love Beth Moore. Many of you have been in her studies or video studies and stuff. She can say it in a way that I, as a man, cannot say it. She did a series called Mean Girls. Some of you ladies have been through that. And uh, I tell you, you'll see, I'm going to pop up about a two-minute video of her talking about modesty because she can say things I can't say. In that, I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't tangle with that woman. You watch the faces she makes, she scares me to death. Let's go ahead and show that video. Mean girls dress provocatively around other women's men. You keep your breasts to yourself. Anybody? And don't tell me anybody is dressing by accident. We are very aware of what we're putting on before we leave the house. And you know what I cannot stand about a mean girl like that? Most of the time she doesn't even care about that guy. She just wants the power of knowing he would look and that he's her man but would still look at her. And my man, do you know it? You have experienced it. Experienced it. Anybody? Anybody want to argue with that one? Remember when a mom said to me, I just wish girls had some idea of what they're putting these boys through. And being a woman and raising two daughters, I said, are you out of your mind? Of course they know what they're putting them through. That's why they're doing it. It's power. It's power. Very well said, isn't it? Do you see that face? 
I'm telling you, I wouldn't mess with that woman, no matter where she is. Ladies, the teaching is clear. Paul is saying when the church gathers in an all of life, your dress reveals your character, so dress modestly. Then he moves on to the issue of women in authority. Women in authority. When the church gathers, he's talking about the role of women. Remember, the church at Ephesus was not like TBC. I mean, TBC will have a few thousand people here this morning. That was not the church at Ephesus. We're gathered in a building that, that, that is set aside for worship. That is not the church at Ephesus. They were meeting in homes, and it was a group of maybe 30 or 40 people or a few more. We don't know the exact numbers, but it was, well, it was just dozens of people, not hundreds of people. And he's saying, in this context, in this context, everything was new. Think about it. I, I mean, Christ has only been gone for 30 years. They do not have what you hold in your hands. They do not have the completed canon yet. They are receiving this letter from Paul, which would become the scriptures. And so everything is new. Their salvation is new. Their faith is new. Their understanding of the church is new. How to function in the church is new. Who's to lead, who's to teach, how it's to take place. All this is new. It's all new stuff. And so Paul is laying out for Timothy how the church should function. And when Paul argues in this section, there are two things about his argument. First of all, he's arguing through a supercultural principle. He's saying, this is not just limited to the culture of my day. Some of you would say, well, Paul was archaic, that culture women could not study, they couldn't learn, and so the, or couldn't be taught, and so the, the, it was a problem in Paul's day, but obviously it's not today. But Paul says, no, his argument is based upon the created order as well as the fall. By the way, the created order occurred before the fall, and so Paul is rooting his argument in creation itself. By the way, ladies, whenever he talks about the role of women, jot down 1 Corinthians 11, the passage in 1 Timothy 1, Take a look also at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. When he talks about the role of men and women and talks about your role in the church, he always roots it in something that's super cultural to show that it applies to all cultures at all times, and he roots it in the creation of the garden story. That's what he does. And so he relates it to the story of the garden. He's saying this is a principle that applies. God himself has set this up all the way back in the garden. And so Paul is supporting his argument specifically in a supercultural way. Secondly, this is not a teaching on our position in Christ. This is not a teaching on our position in Christ. The scriptures are clear about our position. In Genesis 1.27, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we are all men and women created in the image of God. No exceptions. This is not about our position. Our position is clear. We are all created in God's image. Secondly, in Galatians 3.28, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, uh, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. The same author, 1 Timothy, is the author of Galatians. That's Paul. And in his writing, he says in Galatians 3, before the Savior, we are all equal. Jew nor Greek, that has to do with ethnicity. Slave nor free, that has to do with status. Male nor female, that has to do with gender. He says it doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your status in society, doesn't matter your gender. In Christ, we are all one. He's not dealing with that in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he's dealing with the role of women in the church. But I just want to remind you that before we look at our, the role in the church, the scriptures teach very clearly that all men, all women are made in the image of God and that all men, all women have free access to salvation and we are all one at the foot of the cross. We're equal at the foot of the cross, but we are different in function. And so, ladies, I, I hope that I hope you feel honored. I hope you feel appreciated and cared for in the body of TBC. That, that's my desire. 
but we do have different functions. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, we see that difference in function kind of spelled out by Paul. He says, I want you to understand that God is ahead of every man, man is ahead of woman, and God is ahead of Christ. So if you start in the bottom, it says God is ahead of Christ. So we know that as the head of Christ, God the Father, the head of Christ, they're equal. They're the same. God the Father, God the Son. And so if they're equal in the same, how are they different? How is God the Father the head? The kephala is the Greek word. How is God the Father the head of Christ? Well, they're, they're different in function. That's how he is the head. He is the Father who stayed in heaven. Christ is a son who was sent to earth. He was incarnated. They, they are one in essence, but they are different in function. They are equal. Is God the Father greater than God the Son because God the Son came to earth? No. God the Son was just as much God as God the Father. God the Holy Spirit who indwells you is just as much much a part of the Trinity as God the Father and God the Son. And so he says God is ahead of Christ. He says Christ is ahead of every man. Man is ahead of woman. So man is ahead of woman. We are equal, but we are different in function. The hierarchical view of relationships has been espoused all the way from the garden. Men, we have both the privilege and the responsibility to be the head of our wives, head of our families. It's both a privilege and a responsibility. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy and look at how this is to be played out in the church. How it's to be played out in the church. How we are to deal with the issue of authority. Paul is telling Timothy about the role of women. He's probably correcting some struggles within the church. I mean, that's what he's done in the first chapter. That's what he does in chapter 2, verse 8. And so I'm assuming in the church at Ephesus, he's saying instruction is to be received without a rebellious attitude, but in submission. And so we don't know what's happening. We don't know if there's vocal opposition during the sermons. And I've had that happen a few times here. Or if they're gossiping, we're not sure what's happening. But we know he corrects an issue that is at hand. Certainly he's being prescriptive of what should happen. By the way, let me say a word about contentious folks before we move on, men or women. If you're a person always objecting to everything in life, in life, that is a mark of ungodliness, not godliness. And so the scriptures teach us that we are to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a contentious person, always having struggles with people wherever you go, always in combat wherever you go, it's the mark of the, of the deeds of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5. Remember the story of the guy who volunteered to go to World War II? He volunteered to get away from his nagging wife. She continued to write him faithful in the same contentious tone. Finally, he sent her a letter back. He said, honey, will you please quit writing? I would like to enjoy this war in peace. I pray that uh, you will not be that way. Chapter 2, verse 11 is actually a radical verse. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now, you might be saying, ladies, how in the world? Gary, how is that a radical verse for us as women? Well, if you lived in the first century and you were a female and you went to worship in the temple, you would go to the court of the women. And so you would not be permitted to even go into the area where the sacrifices were slain and where other things occurred. You'd stay in the court of the women. Oftentimes, uh, the Mishnah tells us that that women were not even allowed to receive instruction in the law. What Paul is saying in chapter 2, verse 11, is women, you may be part of the same body, receiving instruction, being part of the same time of worship, same place of worship with the men. That was radical in that day and age. It was radical. Some Paul called Paul a chauvinist. He was actually a radical. He, he was a liberator of women. 
In chapter 2, verse 12, after spelling out the manner in which a woman is to receive instruction, he proceeds to place a restriction on female leadership as it relates to teaching and exercising authority over men in the church. If you look at verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. He's given instructions for what's to happen when the church is gathered, and he says as a result of that, uh, women are not to be teaching or exercising authority over men in that particular setting. So, what can we do, Gary? What can we do? I mean, if I'm a female out there, I'm starting to feel a little beat up. I hope not. I hope not. Scriptures give you freedom and limitations. All of us. Here it has to do with your role in the church. But there's great freedom, ladies. I I don't want you to walk out of here focusing on what you cannot do. I want you to focus on what you can do. There's great freedom given to women in the church. First of all, it says in Titus 2, 3, and 4, you can teach older women likewise or be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Ladies, you have the great and high privilege of teaching generations of how to grow in godliness. You have the high privilege of impacting other women and impacting generations of kids so that the truth will continue on. In fact, the last verse in this section, 2.15, talks about women being preserved through childbearing. And I think one of the things that's referring to is the privilege of introducing you are part of the fall, but you're part of the great salvation and godliness that pervades the church today. So ladies, you're given the privilege to teach, maybe not from a pulpit and TBC setting, but the reality of you have that high privilege with other women and with kids. In fact, Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith, Timothy, that dwelt within you. They came from your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Timothy is a pastor in the first century church at Ephesus, and he received that faith through godly women. In fact, Paul goes on in 2 Timothy and says, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Who did he learn them? From his early childhood, he learned them from godly women. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, there were godly women around Jesus all the time. And so, ladies, you have great freedom. You have great freedom. Paul says you do have limitation, though. Limitation is when the body gathers, not offering for you to teach or exercise authority over men. And Paul says he can almost hear you saying, but, 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 but. And so he says, I'm going to ground my argument in two things. First of all, the order of creation, verse 13. It was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Man was first created, 1 Corinthians 11.3. Man is the head of woman. Adam was the first one who was created. He's arguing from the, 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 his logical argument is because man was created first, he was given the responsibility to lead woman. He, he was given the privilege and the responsibility. And so he says from the created order, by the way, that's before the fall, there's been a hierarchical view of men and women since creation with men being given the responsibility and the privilege to lead women. What happens in the family is to happen in the family of God as well. That's what he's saying. Secondly, in verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. He's not saying women are more easily deceived than men. He just says that woman was the first one. When she stepped away from the protection and leadership and the headship of her husband, she was deceived and fell. Adam was not deceived, but he willingly followed into sin. 
And so when you look at this passage, Paul's argument, there's been a hierarchical structure since creation takes place within the family, also within the family of God. And when the family of God meets, women have great freedom. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says you can pray and prophesy when the church is gathered, but she's restricted from teaching and exercising authority over men. That's why we don't have women in the pulpit at TBC. That's why we don't have women elders, women deacons. That's why when we come to small groups that's mixed with men and women, we ask men to take the leadership in those groups. We're just trying to honor God, honor the word. And I I know this. I, I know that if you get a man, you get his family. I know that if men will lead out, women will follow. Part of the problem here is guys. Part of the problem is men who either lead poorly or men who don't lead at all. Men who lead poorly. Angry men, dictatorial men, mean men. Angry men, dictatorial men, and mean men. That's an ungodly way, an ungodly way to be a man. Mean men and angry men who hit women, shame on you. Shame on you. Come pick on somebody your own size. Men who don't lead at all, call them spiritual squids. You ever touch a squid? No backbone, no mush. Like picking up a sponge. And uh, men who don't lead at all. And that's just as wrong. But ladies, the scriptures are pretty clear. If he's a poor leader or not a leader at all, the scriptures tell you in 1 Peter chapter 3, that's your section, you've got an ungodly man who's your husband, 1 Peter chapter 3. You win that man without a word. You don't go set his truck radio on K-Love every morning. (laughs) You don't put pamphlets on his bed every night. You don't go buy a bunch of books on godly men and, you know, lay it out to make sure he reads it. You win him by your chaste and respectful behavior before God. You let your light so shine before him that he desires to be like your Savior. And so I look at this passage, and the, the last part's women and children and childbearing. And you, you look at this passage. By the way, I, I, I forget about this verse. God gave some, or it talks about Jesus giving gifts to the church. God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service and building of the body of Christ. So God gave spiritually gifted people to the church to build up the body of Christ. These are spiritual gifts. The gift of the apostle, gift of prophet, gift of evangelist, gift of pastor teacher. So let me ask you a question. Are gifts gender specific? Let me ask you a different way. Do both men and women have spiritual gifts? Or are they limited in the spiritual gifts they can have? No. No. I, I thank God. Let me just pick on the last one here. I thank God that there are women who are pastor teachers in our body. My wife is a pastor teacher. She mentors women. She teaches the word of God. She's a pastor teacher. She exercises those gifts in a different arena than I do. She exercises those gifts not from the pulpit over men on a Sunday morning, but she exercises those gifts literally with many of you women and around the world. She exercises her gifts as pastor teacher. Beth Mackey on staff with us is a pastor teacher. She has those gifts. There are other women in our body who are apostolic, who are prophetic. There are other women in our body who are evangelists. There are other women in our body who are pastor teachers. These are spiritual gifts, and you function with your gifts within the spheres that God has said this is where a woman is to function. These are not church offices. These are spiritual gifts. 
I praise God for older women who are pastor teachers. We've got a bunch of them here. They lead Bible studies, they mentor women, and they are gifted shepherds, pastors, and teachers, and we're grateful for you. So women in money, modesty, women in authority, women and children, he says they'll be preserved through childbearing, that is the bearing of generations. There are some things I don't think this means, uh, but you can do a little study yourself. Men and women, equal in position, different in function. We're equal in position, we're different in function. When the body gathers, this is how the body is to respond. A number of years ago, I was teaching through 1 Corinthians, and we came to chapter 11, and I wrote down in my notes, Bev and I were talking that night in bed. And she said, Gary, let me make an observation. When women start leading, men stop within the church. She's right. You take a look around the churches in America and the churches around the world. We've had the privilege of traveling to many countries, and what you find is when women take the reins of leadership in the church, men stop. They stop leading. They even stop attending. TBC is an anomaly. We're we're almost 50-50 men and women. That's a strange, strange thing in our world. And we praise God for that. Praise God for godly men and godly women. That's a rarity. Most churches in America, about 70% of the people in church are women. And so we're grateful for godly men. We're grateful for godly women. We've observed in many places that's what happened. I, I love my wife. God has given me a spiritual woman as a mate, and I love her. I love that she wants to exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given her, and she does. I I praise God for that. I love the women of this body as my sisters in Christ. I've had the privilege to watch you go through things and to respond in godly ways. I've watched you handle death of a spouse and teach me what it is to continue to love Jesus. I've watched you go through difficult, bitter divorces, and you've taught me how to love the Savior deeply because you've trusted him. I've watched some of you love unlovely husbands, faithfully do that. I've watched some of you have unfaithful husbands, but you've remained faithful to that man, and God has brought that marriage back together, and I praise you for that. I've watched godly women grow up and mentor other women in our body, and it's an amazing thing to watch. I've watched you mentor, I've watched you love, I've watched you care, I've watched you lead, and I praise God for you. We are blessed. We're blessed. I'm blessed, you're blessed. In fact, if you've got a wife sitting next to you, it'd be a great time to put your arm right around her and thank God for her. Because you're a blessed man. You're a blessed man. Not many men have women who are spiritually minded in their lives. And for the rest of you ladies sitting there without that man next to you, I pray I pray that through your godly example, if you're a married woman, his life will be changed. I'm convinced we need strong male leadership in our homes and in this body, but I'm also convinced that even though women have not stood in this pulpit, we have learned many, many, many things and been taught many, many things through the women of this body. And I praise God for you. We've been praying over a lot of people, and the way I want to conclude this morning is to pray for the ladies. So if you're a female, would you stand? Would you stand? And uh, we want to pray for you. Men, I, we're not going to touch the ladies. You just put your hands in direction. Just, <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We've got uh, lady. We want to respect the ladies that are here. So don't touch them. Put your hands in the direction of them. Father, I am grateful for these ladies. I'm grateful, Father, for godly women. Grateful, Father, for the way they have taught us as men through their godly example. 
I'm grateful for women of modesty. I'm grateful for women who love Jesus. Grateful for women who have loved when they haven't been loved. Grateful for women who have nurtured children and raised up a generation that's following Jesus. I'm grateful for grandmothers and great-grandmothers who honor the Savior. Father, I'm grateful for their godly examples. Thank you for our single ladies. Thank you for the widows. Thank you for the married ladies. Thank you for young girls. And I pray that they would be filled with grace and faithfulness every day of their lives. Father, you've designed men and women to be equal but different in function. We thank you for that. And we pray that as a body, and as a body who, that we would lead well, and that the men who are in leadership would be men who honor women. And I pray for the women here, some who may chafe at this message. I pray that as they do business with you, Father, that they would apply it to their hearts as only you can allow them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're dismissed.